Okay, this morning we're in Acts chapter 3, and we're obviously talking about the name. Is everybody as confused about the Princess Bride now as you were before? No? She was in love with Wesley. Wesley was kidnapped by the dread pirate Roberts, who she thought that guy was, and then found out that that guy was really her Wesley, and she asked him, how in the world did that happen? And he said, I'm not the real Dread Pirate Roberts. I've actually been through a couple changes. It's the name. The name is what inspires the necessary fear. The name. We're in Acts chapter 3. We're taking a journey through this book, and uh, this morning we're talking about kind of Last week we talked about the healing that took place at the first part of the chapter, and maybe that was kind of like the what took place, and then today's kind of kind of like how did that take place. What you'll find is this phrase, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. You've heard that before, right? Yes. Shaker. There you go. Okay. Just making sure you're still there. Um, names are important, and, and all of us know that, and all of us probably at times have laughed at funny names. When I was uh, youth pastoring in Columbia, South Carolina, I went to an elementary, uh, to a middle school to um, kind of help uh, like eat lunch with some of my kids, and I met the principal, and her name was Lily White, which was only funny because she was the darkest black woman I'd ever met in my life. <laughs> it's just funny, like, hey, Miss Lily White, it was kind of weird. A few years back, um, the New York Times had a, a contest. Um, to find the worst bad name. Here were some of the entries. Charmin Toilet. That's good. Wrigley Fields. Justin Credible. Wouldn't you love to have that name? He's walk up, hi, I'm Justin Credible. I love that. It'd be awesome. Um, here's a couple more. Michelle Lynn. Michelle Lynn. What's so great about that is her dad was an auto mechanic, so he should have known what he was getting into. They found that there was a father named Brooke Trout, and he had named his daughter Rainbow. <laughs> Trout. Um, sometimes there are famous people who have really weird names. There was the daughter of a governor of Texas. Her name was Ima Hogg. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Shanda Lear. But her father is the founder of the Lear Jet Corporation. So he's smart and probably should have known better. Um, at any rate, you know, names are important. And today we want to talk about what's so important about the name of Jesus. Um, let's just jump in. Here's a, I want to teach you one thing that we all know and then something that we probably don't. So number one on your sheet, this is something that we all know. Saying a name reveals identity. That sounds really scholastic, doesn't it? This is a principle that all of us understand, and here's how I know that we all understand it. We've all named our kids, or you named your puppy dog or your cat. The only person I can think of that didn't name something was Dr. Seuss because he had thing one and thing two, right? But we, for the most part, we name people because saying a name reveals identity, there's got to be something more than just saying the name Jesus, though, right? Because, like, when we get done today, I'm going to go to El Ranchito, and I'm going to eat Mexican. And if I'm lucky, Jesus is going to be my waiter, 
my server because it's right on his it, I and mean, he says it like jesus but it's right there i get to order my food from jesus right but if i say thank you jesus i mean he's still just the mexican that's my server at el ranchito i don't think he's in the back like turning you know the tea into something with more kick right so it's got to be more than just saying the name Jesus. But we act in the American church like it is just about saying the name. You've heard people pray where they said the name of Jesus excessively in the prayer, haven't you? Sometimes we don't say Jesus. Sometimes we say Father. We, Father, we just come to you in your name, Father, and we just ask you, Father, for all the great and mighty things, Father, that you want to give us, Father. Like, talk to somebody else like that. Just have a conversation with your, with your spouse like that. I'd love that. Wendy, it's so good to see you this morning, Wendy. Uh, you look beautiful, Wendy. And Wendy, what you're wearing is awesome. And Wendy, could you fix me some breakfast? And thank you for the scrambled eggs, Wendy. She'd be like, dude, shut up. <laughs> like, do you not know who I am? Because I know who I am, but you keep saying my name a lot. Like, you don't know who I am. Saying a name reveals identity. Now, when we pray, sometimes we act like it's a magic phrase. In the name of Jesus. I can already guarantee you this morning, like when we prayed earlier, or maybe as we were praying at the beginning of the service, you've already said or heard somebody else say, in the name of Jesus, amen. Almost like it's just this thing that we tag on to the end of stuff. Now, how many of you are into Twitter? Let me see your hands. Anybody twit? Tweet? Twit? I taught that I thought. <laughs> you hashtag, right? If you're into Twitter, you know what a hashtag is. Sometimes we treat the name of Jesus like a hashtag. We just kind of say this prayer. Oh, God, we, I just ask that you would give me a perfect job and give me um, perfect looks. And, God, you would provide all that I need and could ever want and ask or imagine. And just to guarantee that I'm going to get what I'm asking for, hashtag in Jesus' name, amen. Like it's some kind of magic formula. Names help us identify people. Saying the name of Jesus helped the disciples identify who they were and who they were with. But Philippians 2.9 makes it clear. Just jot down Philippians 2.9. Read that later. That This is the name unlike any other name. There's something about the name of Jesus. Now, if you've been around a long time in church, you've heard of the Bill Gaither band, the Bill Gaither family, then like all the people that he's molded into be this famous singer i kept thinking he had that song called there's something about that name i used to hear my mom and dad singing all the time and i would just cringe because it was like that was my parents music right i had the good stuff and they had there's just something about that name but there really is just something about the name of jesus there's something about the name of jesus that is different than every other name it's not just a spelling it's not just saying it. There's more to it than that. And so here's number two. Here's just something that many of us do not know. Saying a name reveals identity, but conveying a name releases authority. This sounds really, really deep. I just want you to get this, okay? Um, I had to look up the word convey just to make sure I knew what it meant. And right away, man, I'm already thinking of like a conveyor belt. You ever seen one of those? You ever watched I Love Lucy? 
Yeah, then you seen if you've seen that famous scene where they're trying to like do the chocolate and she's like putting her hair in other places and eating them and because it's a conveyor belt. What does a conveyor belt do? It transfers something from one location to the next. What does it mean to convey? Here's what it means. To bear from one place to another, to impart or communicate by statement, to transfer or deliver to another, to cause to pass from one person to another. There's a lot happening in that one word. And that is how the man got healed at the beginning of Acts chapter 3. It wasn't because they said Jesus. It was because they gave something to that man. They conveyed something to that man. There's a transfer that took place. The man received power. The man received the power that was found in the person of Jesus. So I want you to think of it like this. How many of you have a set of keys on you? Go ahead and pull them out. I said to do that because I can. Just, I want to hear them. <clears throat> Keys unlock things, am I right? Well, and then they can lock doors, but for the most part, like you'll go home today and you'll pull your keys out and you'll unlock your door. So the difference between saying the name of Jesus and conveying the authority behind the name of Jesus is this. Go home today, walk up to your door, put the key in, unlock the door, open the door, and then just stay there. Saying the name of Jesus, it really is, there's power in the name of Jesus. And if you speak the name of Jesus, it's like putting the key in the door and turning it, and it unlocks. You would be amazed at what the name of Jesus can unlock. But when the door is unlocked, when that situation's opened up, God's desire for you and for me is that we would actually put something into it. Too many of us, we unlock the door and we don't have anything to give. And I want you to walk out of here today encouraged, knowing this, everywhere I go, I'm carrying something with me. There's power in the name of Jesus. And I can actually unlock certain things and speak into those situations. When I was in Rio on a mission trip, I met a guy, and he was about this. What is it about short people in other countries that are really powerful? But he was about this tall. He wore glasses. They were thick. And I watched him walk into a hospital one time where we were going to go pray for the sick. And the administrator of the hospital met us as soon as the door opened and we stepped in. And the administrator looked down and said, you're not coming in here to pray. And he's, they're talking in Portuguese. I don't have any idea what they're saying. It just sounds like, no, 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 you know me. Except that this short guy looks up, and all I heard him say was, and he didn't get loud, he didn't yell. He just said, in Jesus' name. And the hospital administrator went, oh. And we just walked in. There's power in the name of Jesus. Why? Because that short guy had power in here. He didn't just say a name. Now, you I, I don't want to jump too far ahead in Acts, but just to whet your appetite, later today when you're having quiet time, read Acts chapter 19. What you'll find is this awesome story about a guy that heard people saying the name of Jesus and saw how demons would respond to the name of Jesus, and he went, this looks like fun. And so he just went up to somebody that had some demons in him and said, 
I just, in the name of Jesus, come out. And the demons talked back. Now, that's the kind of stuff we make movies about today, right? We pay money to see demons talk back. But if it happened in real life, you'd have to change your underwear. Okay? You'd be like, oh, snap. A bunch of voices are talking back to me out of that one person. It's a little freaky, you know. And here's what the demon said. The demon said, Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who are you again? And the Bible goes on to say that that man left that situation. Seven of them left naked and bleeding, running away. Because they just said the name. But they had nothing. They unlocked a door. <laughs> I don't think they liked what they found on the other side. They unlocked the door and went, oh, hello, in Jesus' name. <laughs> Acts chapter 19, it's in the Bible. I didn't make it up. Read it later. Because there's more to it than just speaking Jesus. Now, I can guarantee you this. Because there's power in the name of Jesus, we could probably all start just Phil could play the guitar. We could all just start speaking the name of Jesus. And before long, guess what would happen? This place would be full of something electric because there's power in the name of Jesus. But after that door is unlocked, what happens then? We better be bringing something to the table, right? We better bring something with us to speak into those situations. And that's what Peter and John had. They said, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. If you study the name, the way the name of God was used in the Bible, here's a couple things you can jot down. Exodus 27, the name of God was not to be misused. Deuteronomy 28, 58, it was glorious, it was awesome, and it was meant to be revered. Psalm 8, 1 says that the name brings God glory in the heavens. Literally, when we speak the name of God, glory fills the heavens. That's cool. Proverbs 18.10 says that his name provides us protection. You've sung songs about that. It's a strong tower. Jeremiah 15.6 says that bearing his name will actually increase our desire for the Bible. And don't those sound great? That sound great, don't they? Did I sound pastoral when I said it? But if you're honest, you have no idea what to do with it. Am I right? Like, that's awesome. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Sounds like something I'm going to hear later on 91.9 or 94.1. And I'm going to sing it with all my might. The windows are going to be up. It's going to be me in the car. I'm going to be off key and I'm not going to care. But at the end of the day, what the heck does that mean? What does that mean tomorrow when you go to work? What do we do with the name of Jesus then? So I want to give you one fact that I found while I was studying that, for me at least, helped me kind of answer that question. Just keep your finger in Acts 3 and then flip over to Exodus 3. It's the second book in the Bible. Exodus chapter 3. We're almost done. Woo! This is the story of the burning bush. Another one of those moments when we would have to change our underwear. Moses sees this this bush that's burning up and it's not being consumed. It's just always on fire. And then that's weird enough. And then he hears a voice speaking out of it and it's God. Weird. Very, very weird. 
And so he's sending, he's sending Moses to go rescue his people. And so Moses says to God, okay, look, like when they ask me who's, who sent me, do I tell them a bush? What do I say? Because they're going to think I'm weird if I say, well, I was talking to this bush out in the desert, and the bush said, no, he's like, don't do that. So he gave him two names. Verse 14, he said, I am who I am. And in verse 15 is what I want you to get. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. What is the, what's the power behind the name of Jesus? How do we convey the authority in the name of Jesus? And there's the answer. God says, I have a name that I will be remembered by forever. From generation to generation, whenever people hear this name, they're immediately going to think of me. And the name is the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now flip back to Acts chapter 3. We're not going to read all of it, but starting in verse 11, they start to wonder, like, this guy got healed. How did that happen? Okay? And so they, they looked at Peter and John like they were amazing men. And if we're honest, men, if we were them, we would have loved that. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty cool. Follow me on Twitter. But instead, they said, why are you looking at us like that? We had nothing to do with this. Look what he says in verse 13. When he answers how the man was made to walk, he says, see if this sounds familiar, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and there's the name that God will be remembered by for generations, the God of our fathers. So what do we do with this? What's the point It means that it's on this present generation to walk with something from God that we can convey to the next generation. It means that we have to forget about the lame beggars just for a little bit. Forget about the healing of the lame beggars and just ask yourself one simple question. Do you have power of God operating in your life that you can convey to the next person. I, I know that we can say the name of Jesus because I've heard all of us pray. And sometimes we say the name of Jesus wrongly. <laughs> we don't want people to hear that. I know we can say it, but do we have something to convey when we do? When you go home and you open up that door, are you going to stand at the door or are you going to go into your house? And I think the way you get into your house spiritually is you have something. You are you have something in your life. I want to be the kind of disciple and follower of Jesus that Parker, Will, and Sidney will someday say, the God of my father. Not just the God of your father, the God of my father. Because I saw my dad walk with Jesus. And I know that he had power from God. And that's the same power that I have because I saw it. So how do we get that kind of power so we can give it away? 
Acts 3.15. This is Peter being seeker-sensitive. Um, Y'all know what that phrase means? Make a church, have cup holders, really nice, comfortable chairs. Make it fun so people want to come back. Be the awesome pastor. Tell really funny stories. And there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But Peter, in his second sermon, when people said, whoa, dude, that show where the guy got healed, that was amazing. How'd you pull that off? And he said, well, it wasn't me. It was the God of my fathers and your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's now working and living and active in me. And he says this in verse 14. But now you disown the holy and righteous one, and you asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Wow. Nice, Peter. Way to win them over. Right? I mean, look, we're going through some tough stuff in Acts, right? Because Phil and I were talking earlier. I've never been more aware of how countercultural the book of Acts is to America. But have you noticed that? I mean, like, this is not the culture we live in. We are not wired. We're not wired to open our hand with our resources and say, just, you know, Jesus, whatever you want to use, use it. That's just not the way our culture is wired. This is very countercultural. This is a very tough message for us to hear. And, and we're not preaching just to be countercultural. It's just we're trying to read the Bible, figure out what they did. This is hard to hear. This is not seeker sensitive. You know what this is? This is sensitive to the seeker. That's what this message is. And Peter looks at, an, at a crowd, and he didn't just say, Some people killed Jesus. He said, you killed the author of life. And then what happened next? He says, but God raised him from the dead, and we, everybody say we. Everybody say we, 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 we. See, I work for Geico. <clears throat> anyway, he says, we are witnesses of this. We're witnesses of this. Do you get that? Peter says, I'm not thinking it might have happened. I saw it. I saw you kill Jesus. And I saw God raise him from the dead. I'm a witness of that. I have no doubt. How many of you are married to a stubborn person? Don't put your hand in the air. <laughs> stubborn people are hard to deal with, but especially. Especially when they know they're right. I mean, if they're really stubborn, they'll argue even if they're wrong, right? Christmas is not in December. I don't care what you say. But when, a, when they know they're right, you cannot get them to back down. Do you see the, the confidence that comes from knowing that you're right? That's what Peter had. It's like, no. I saw this with my own eyes. I have experienced this. I am a witness that you might have killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. Let me ask you this question. All these thousands of years later, are we truly, truly convinced that though they killed Jesus, God raised him from the dead? And if we are, that's where the power comes from. Peter had the confidence that he was walking every day in the power and authority of one sent from God, killed by man, and raised by God from the dead. And I believe this. 
that when he was telling them in the name of the, of, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's talking with authority. I think he remembered the last things that Jesus ever said to him before he left this earth. Matthew chapter 28. Let's listen to the Great Commission. Verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority did Jesus have? All. I mean, that's a great word, right? So tomorrow, when your boss is driving you nuts, you might want to do it under your breath. <laughs> you just start saying, even you. Because Jesus has all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he said, therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I believe this, that when Jesus said that to the disciples, they suddenly realized, wait a second, we don't just say in Jesus' name. We go in Jesus' name. We actually have power. All the power that Jesus had, all authority in heaven and earth, was given to Jesus, and then he turned around and gave it to them. He says, you're not just going to open doors. You're going to go into rooms. You're going to go into situations. You're not just going to speak the name and identify yourself as being with Jesus. You're going to convey the name of Jesus and release authority in the situations where you find yourself. And that's only important in one situation. Who can guess what it is? Keenan Field at Chapel Hill? No. I think it might have been necessary last night up in Maryland because the power of God could have pushed that ball and made it hit the left upright, so state one. I don't know. But it's really only important in one place. It is important in the seeking and saving of the lost. The power of God is not necessary. The authority of Jesus is not necessary to make church more fun. It's necessary to invade the darkness where lost people live. And you already know that's true, right? Because there's certain levels that we're okay at in the Christian faith. Like quiet times, check. Prayer, even if it's just for a few minutes a day, check. Going to an unreached people group and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ at the risk of possible death. I'm going to pray about that one. And is that honest enough? Because you know what's necessary in that place? All authority in heaven and on earth is necessary in that place. And that comes when we don't just speak the name of Jesus, but we actually convey the name of Jesus, everything that the name represents. I don't want to just be identified with Jesus. I want to be an ambassador of Jesus. Does that make sense? And when we are that ambassador, we will be amazed at the things that take place in our lives and in the people's lives around us. It's so much more than saying the name. Peter learned how to convey the authority behind that name. I believe that we can 
as well. I'm praying that if I do get Jesus as my server at El Ranchito today, that I would be able to convey the power of Jesus to Jesus. Think about how much different our county will be when we walk out of here, when we walk out of this place knowing, wait a second, I'm carrying the power and authority of Jesus. People ask me for stuff and I've got power and authority from Jesus to give to them. Changes every situation that we find ourselves in. That's what you carry. Look at the person next to you before we pray. They just look like an ordinary person, don't they? If you're married to them, they might look like, dude, you needed to take a shower this morning. But the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that there is a name like no other name given under heaven or earth. That at that name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that person next to you, if they're a believer and a follower of Jesus, they actually carry all of that authority and power with them when they walk out that door. There is nothing you will face today, tomorrow, throughout this week, that the power and authority that's embodied in the name of Jesus cannot handle. And if, the, if your application this is going to sound a little bit weird but if your application of this message was simply tomorrow when you're paying your bills and there's not enough checkbook to pay them, if you simply just took that bill out and put it on your desk and you put your hand on that bill, that sounds weird, doesn't it? But if you're desperate, you'll try it because <laughs> I've been there. If you just put your hand on that bill and if, if all you did to apply this message was, you know what, God, you said all authority in heaven and on earth, is in the name of Jesus. So God, I just, I'm asking, in the name of Jesus, for you to convey the power that you've given to me in Jesus Christ to this circumstance that I cannot do anything about. What if you just tried it? What could happen if you just gave it a shot? What would happen is you would see God come through, and then the next time that you meet people who are impossible and you have them in your family, right? People that drive you crazy, Uncle Charlie, whoever. It would be in your family. I'm just making that name up unless it applies to you. Somebody right now is going, how does he know Uncle Charlie? <laughs> and does Uncle Charlie drive him nuts too? <laughs> You'll find yourself praying Differently for Uncle Charlie. Like instead of praying, God, kill Uncle Charlie. <laughs> You'll start saying things like, God, you've given me the power in Jesus' name to unlock the heart of Uncle Charlie. And now I'm praying, God, help me to walk in such a way that I'm a vessel so all authority in heaven and on earth can flow through me and Man, just blow Uncle Charlie up. I mean, not literally. That would be messy. But it would be an unforgettable Thanksgiving reunion. Just blow him up, God. That's what he wants to do. And look now. Look at the person next to you. Do you see them differently now? That's what they carry. That's what you carry. You carry the valuable 
power of God. And the way it gets conveyed is not just saying the name, but bringing all that power through your life. And here's what it means. Right now when I close and we pray over the offering and then we go and eat, it means this. If there's anything in your life, anything in your life that's clogging that vessel from God to you, if there's anything in there, you've got to get it out. You've got to ask God, forgive me this. Phil talked about it earlier, 1 John 1, 9, cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Why does he want to do that? Because it's like having a pipe with a clog in it. And you can pour water all day long through that thing. But until you get that clog out, nothing's getting through. Just God, man, forgive me. Purify me. Cleanse me. Make me a vessel. Pour your power and authority through me into every situation I encounter. And I'm going to pray that God does that for you. And I can't wait to hear what he does in this city through you this week.